Yeah, Mom, I've been packing up all the boxes in the studio this week. I've been trying to get everything around. It's just, you know, I can't believe that my podcast is going down the ruins like this. Yes, I know nobody listens to it. Yeah, I know Grandma's been giving me a grand for it because she can't remember who I am. Yeah, I know. What the fuck? Wait. What on earth? What are you Hey, so, I don't know anything about, like, capitalism or any of those, or, like, anything about stocks. Uh-huh. But I thought I was, like, sold a fortune, because I thought Danny, she she gave me this stock for Hayden's Entertainment Hour. I thought I was going to be, like, a fucking millionaire. How is this? Why? Why do I have, like, nothing? I have a warehouse of full of just, I don't know, like, a cutout of Better Call Saul. That's it. Like, what is this? In yeah. a mic? Uh, Fahrenheit, I kind of forgot to tell you, uh, Danny is foreclosing my podcast, and uh, it's going bankrupt as soon as July hits. Oh, fuck. You were sold bad stock, I'm afraid. I don't even know how this works. I thought I was going to be a millionaire. This is oh, so sad. no. Well, uh, you know... How am I going to pay for my tattoo now? Well, um, if the loan sharks don't kill you for the tattoo, um, I can think of a quick way to make some money. How, how is that? We talk about two February movies that just came out within the same weekend that both get mixed reception upon the time they came out. Wait, so... It's questionable if they're any good? Yeah, debatably. Wait, okay, okay, wait, 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 hold on. Which ones are they? Oh, well, we're here to talk about Mithrigan and a man called Otto. Um... Huh. Well, okay, I have seen Megan, but... Really? And also, Tom Hanks, really? Like, he, he's just a grumpy old man. You're right, you're right. We gotta think of something more fresh, something more recent. Oh, I just saw the new uh, M. Night Shyamalama Linglong movie, uh, A Knock at the Cabin. Have you seen it? Oh, man, what a movie. What that a was movie, a indeed. great movie, in my opinion. I I loved it when the old lady that was sitting down for me was playing Wordle on her phone the entire runtime of the movie. And Wait, she, are you dead ass? Yeah, and then she decided to play Candy Crush, but I would love to talk about this movie first before the other one. Why? What's the other one? Well, the other one fills me with pain because the person in question in the movie, he's filled my life with nothing but existence and pain in the football world for 25 years. He's done Ryan nothing Reynolds? but cause pain and suffering to me in my football existence. He's caused nothing but pain and suffering to those that love football around him. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We won't get to that one just yet. But um, it, it, it does have four golden girls of acting in it. Whoa, wait, is it Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, it's it's Ryan Reynolds' new movie, 80 for Ryan. Oh, okay. Well, I can't wait to talk about that one. Because I, I think it's leagues better than that 80 for Brady movie. Yeah. At least we're not talking about that, right? Uh, yeah, of course we wouldn't. Wait. Oh, Danny just forwarded me the email, and she says that uh, we have to talk about 80 for Brady. Oh. 
existence is pain all right welcome back to hayden's entertainment hour it is uh it's been a while obviously since i've done a proper podcast the last one that me and fahrenheit did was our top 10 best and worst of the year um like i said obviously hayden's entertainment hour will be coming to a close in july but there's still movies coming out i want to talk about and uh you know, I kind of talked about it when I did a podcast with Danny making my announcement. There's not really a lot coming out. There's not a whole lot of great to talk about, so we kind of have to make do with what we got. Uh, so I was talking to Fahrenheit, and I was like, hey, there's a new M. Night Shyamalan movie coming out, and then 80 for Brady. Why not just talk about these two? Because they're going to be shorter movies to talk about. They're also very, very short movies. I think A Cabin, a Knock at the Cabin's like an hour 44, and then I think 80, Bra- 80 for Brady's like an hour 38. So these are movies we won't have to spend a whole lot of time on, and honestly, I think that kind of benefits us because I don't expect a lot of people to love a podcast where we spend like an hour and 20 minutes talking about these two movies. But um, Fahrenheit, welcome back. Uh, it's been a while. How was your uh, film journey through january uh to be honest it's been pretty lax like uh again i work in a movie theater so yeah uh megan popped off a pretty funny movie but let me do a quick quick recap real quick megan really can't be uh i can understand why it's not for everyone give it like a six out of ten and then man called auto has the uh the chet hanks song white boy summer i'm never forgetting that movie uh that gets like a two star out of five i guess and then yeah 80 for brady has been terrorizing our theaters because uh yeah we live like right next to like a elderly residence oh so yeah I mean, same thing for Ben Colado. Like, everybody is just so rude. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best way I can tell. It's just a bunch of old, rude people <laughs> trying to see these, like, old movies. And I'm like, okay, that's endearing. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah, um, I I did not watch a whole lot in January. January this January might have been the driest month for my letterbox, where I just was not watching movies. Um, I don't know whether it was because I was working all the time, or I was watching like football, or if I was like hanging out with friends all the time. But I didn't watch a lot of movies, and I did not see any January movie that came out in theaters. I didn't see Mithrigan. I didn't see A Man Called Otto. I didn't see Infinity Pool, which I heard good things about. It's just I did not go to the movie theater at all in January, which I think is kind of rare for me, you know. Um, but, you know, there's the new M. Night Shyamalan movie that just came out. It's called A Knock at the Cabin. Um, to give you a quick plot synopsis of this movie, um, it's while vacationing at a remote cabin in the woods, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand they make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. Confused, scared, and with limited access to the outside world, the family must decide must what they believe for before all is lost. And uh, most of them aren't homophobic. Most of them. Most of them, yeah. Um, So this is the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, M. Night Shyamalan is the director. Say what you will about him. I'm not the biggest fan of M. Night Shyamalan. I think he is a competent director. I think his movies can look good at times. But I think the biggest issue is he kind of got a big head after The Sixth Sense and uh, Unbreakable and a couple of his other hit movies and just decided, you know, I'm going to implement a twist into every one of my movies now. And nine times out of ten, the twist is dog shit like if you saw glass and the twist in that with all of the fucking superheroes this is a bad fucking movie if you saw um the happening with mark Wahlberg, the twist in that with the fucking plants is just terrible it's just 
I don't like a lot of recent M. Night Shyamalan movies. And as a lot of people know, I saw Old in 2021, which was one of my worst movies I saw in 2021. And that movie's just fucking bad all around. I don't know how anybody can enjoy that. The dialogue sucks. The direction sucks. It looked pretty, I guess, is the only thing I could give it. But that movie was just terrible. So when I saw a trailer for this and I saw Dave Bautista was in it, my expectations were not very high. But I will admit after seeing it, I was kind of impressed. A little bit, in a way. Um, Fahrenheit, would you like to give your thoughts on M. Night Shyamalan in this movie? So, yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie, uh, I don't think I've seen as much M. Night Shyamalan movies before watching this one, and I remember I did, like, a quick double feature before watching this one. Mm -hmm. I have seen his infamous Avatar the Last Airbender adaptation, which is not good. Nope. <laughs> like it, it's like honestly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But like I'm not gonna judge him. And then I started with Old because that was a shorter movie than like Unbreakable. Yeah. And oh, you said that was pretty. It was so gray when I was, like, putting on my TV, I remember. It was so unremarkable. It has, it has been since 2021 since I've seen it, so I could be wrong. But... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just remember I did not vibe with, Like, it was weird, I guess. I'll give it points for... I guess that's the thing with M. Night Shyamalan, is, like, any movie that he makes regardless of its quality it's entertaining to a degree yeah yeah that's true the happening is a really bad movie and like it's kind of so bad it's good and the acting and it's terrible and plus it's it's mark Wahlberg, you know playing a fucking terrible character but um i just i don't know m night Shyamalan is weird to me because i want to like him as a director because obviously like movies like the sixth sense and signs and unbreakable like those were came out they kind of changed the landscape in some ways but then he puts out a bunch of shit and he produces shit and i don't know if it's like i said earlier his ego's gotten too big to where he thinks all his twists are brilliant or if nobody's telling him like hey buddy you might want to not publish your first draft and go make a movie like spend some time revising it but um so i think after kind of the hate that old got i think he kind of went back to his roots with this movie because one thing that i like about this movie is it's very small scale it is just yeah. simply about a family that is being basically held hostage by four crazy people that think the apocalypse is going to happen. And these two dads have to make a choice on sacrificing one or the other so that way the apocalypse doesn't happen. And I have to say right off the bat, got to give this movie compliments. Um, Dave Batista works so well with this script and this character that he's given as Leonard. I love everything about him because he's a high school teacher that's just really trying to do his best to like save the students that, you know, he's grown up with and everything and taught and stuff. And so you understand like why he's holding these people hostage and they do a lot of like great things with him and the rest of the characters in this movie because I will very misleading it makes you think that oh it's just these four crazy people that we want to root against but all of them do have kind of like moralistic reasons as to why they need this family to make a choice and like you understand where they're coming from but at the same time it's hard for you to root for these people that think the apocalypse is happening because one of these dads will ultimately die i mean yeah that that's honestly one of the most surprising things besides like how pretty it looks this is probably M. Night Shyamalan's prettiest looking movie. It does look very pretty, yeah. But, um, whatchamacallit, that's also something surprising, though, the fact that, like, they're kind of all 
nice. Like, yeah. too nice, almost. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, like, I, I personally found it funny, but I, I can see why it didn't really jive with anybody. Mm-hmm. I personally enjoyed it, but, like, I can see, like, why it can, like, feel slow for others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the other uh, people in this movie, like Rupert Grant, who plays Redmond, um, he comes from a past where he basically works for an oil company, and there's a reveal with him that's kind of something really that they talk about him and his character but he's basically kind of like pissed off all the time he's very rageful he's somebody that just kind of wants them to make the decision quick uh abby quinn plays adrian who is a mother that works as a line cook and she has a son that she wants to be saved and she goes on about how like listen this choice would really benefit my son living and everything like that and then uh nikki uh amuka bird plays sabrina who is a nurse and she's kind of looking at through of the perspective of, like you could save patients and you know i don't really want to do this i'm a simple night nurse but you know this decision could ultimately affect things and so all four of them are the the apocalypse i don't want to give away the twist yet because the twist is kind of the best part of this whole thing but also at the same time they spell it out um but you know these four people do all have a reason as to why they are doing this and so every time the dads say no and you know a consequence happens well one of them has to die off one of these people has to die so the first time they refuse they kill off rupert grint they chop his head off and they uh, drag his body out into a different room and then they turn on the tv and they show one of the plagues that happens uh, to the world so the three plagues that happen in this are typhoons and earthquakes which take over the world um a deadly virus is released and then airplanes start falling from the sky and gravity starts going weird and we don't get to see the fourth one obviously because by the ending there is a choice made but i do like how this movie kind of stacks it as like these people have a moralistic reason as to what they're doing you understand why they're doing it and every time you know it's said no and something affects the world you do start to see from the perspective of Dave Batista like hey you guys have really got to make a decision about the better uh, betterment of humanity also uh hate to be that guy but uh uh Adrian right yes she's uh she's played by uh an actress for Better Call Saul yeah uh, <laughs> I, I was like one of the only people that was like, oh my god, she's in this movie. Uh, as like Chrissy Esposito. But uh, regardless, yeah, no. Like, yeah, that's something that I found really eerie. Especially because, who are the... There's Jonathan Groff. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, ben, ben Aldridge is Andrew. Yeah, Ben Aldridge. By the way, I, I think Ben Aldridge, he was like pretty good in this in my yeah opinion. i i i haven't seen ben aldridge in a lot but honestly in this i was like damn i kind of want to see more of this guy's work yeah he's in a spoiler alert um a movie with uh sheldon from the big bang and they're mm-hmm. like in another like gay type movie oh okay like, and, yeah it was okay but um no yeah honestly i very much love this role a yeah. lot more because yeah no like as Dave Batista he's showing like all these like like apo- like plagues basically yeah uh, Ben Aldridge his character he is like the only one that's like really skeptic yeah right and like frantically even and it's kind of interesting especially since like the movie likes to jump around the timeline I really like how it starts when the chaos starts not like when we get to see like them together or like when they're getting into the cabin i thought that was unique what do you think about the pacing 
the pacing in this is interesting because um what like you said at the beginning when it just jumps straight into the scenario i'm like okay this is really interesting but then the movie has pacing breaks where it will jump to flashbacks or it will try to grow obviously jonathan groff and ben aldridge's character and i don't mind it but at times it does kill the tension for me in some ways because we have this built-up tension of like this family's being told like hey you have to prevent the apocalypse by killing one or the other and then it's like okay but let's go into the backstory a little bit how they got to the cabin you know the relationship that they're building with when and i i don't know i think the pacing is kind of 50 50 for me because there are times i was like okay this break makes sense and then i was like no we really shouldn't have used the flashback here we should have kept the pacing going because do you know what because i feel like the pacing and the ending go hand in hand with the themes so i'm not like when do you want to reveal the twist um we it's if you like to reveal it now you can you think yeah you're good all right cool 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 so basically all those four people well like hold on like there has been a lot of tension because like i really like how batista is like this really gentle giant character and like yeah. there's the whole thing with ben's character he like grabs a gun from the truck uh it's just like very tense but it ends with all four of the intruders they all die because yeah. none of them could come to a to a conclusion as far as who they're gonna kill but turns out uh jonathan groff's character who got like a concussion in the beginning of the scenario uh he's starting to piece together that they were the four horsemen of the apocalypse yep and i can i can see why like a lot of people don't like how it was spelled out yeah like, i'm one it, of the i'm are, one of those people <laughs> yeah like um i remember like a lot of people were like it i can understand that too but honestly i personally like this i guess because like it says a lot about like the themes because like you have ben's character who's like this whole movie like their scenario like they live in a society where people don't accept them right yeah well i i read something on this too that i kind of altered my perspective on this movie that made me enjoy it a little bit more mm-hmm. because um yeah no like in this society that they aren't like accepted and that shouldn't really stop them from being empathetic yeah right and that's something that i found like really beautiful with that because yeah jonathan gruff he ends up being the one to sacrifice in the end even though the four horsemen of the apocalypse are dead like he is like you and our daughter are going to live a happy life and uh yeah just continue being like the nicest people ever yeah and yeah and then ben ends up shooting him and it's the most tragic thing ever and i personally really like that last shot where it's just the daughter like playing uh boogie shoes yeah i guess but- because yeah it's them moving on from that Mm. It it has probably one of the most solid endings of an M. Night Shyamalan movie to where 
obviously I'm not a big fan of the twist being spelled out, but I think the way it handles the ending is really good too, because you know, and Ben's character is fascinating to me because he's very, very much kind of rageful and short-tempered because the entire time these people are in the cabin, he's shouting at them, he's threatening them, and then when he gets a gun, obviously, he's not afraid to shoot one of them. Ben's character, you know, kind of grows to be empathetic by the ending and be that father figure for Wen. Um, I do want to touch on Wen because there are a lot of child actors in M. Night Shyamalan movies, and I gotta say, she is leaps and bounds better than the ones from old. I fucking hate the way M. Night Shyamalan writes dialogue for kids sometimes because sometimes it's not even what a little kid would say. Like, there's a line that still sticks with me in old where the kid's walking up to people and going, what are your names and occupations? And then he starts talking about how I'm going to be a financial broker when I'm older and I'm going to do this tax invade, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what the fuck? No kid says this shit when they're five. Like, most kids are like, I want to go play with fucking monster trucks or some shit. But Wen's dialogue is a lot better in this movie. It's clunky at times because... Like I said, M. Night Shyamalan kind of struggles writing kids, I feel like. But it's just, she's leaps and bounds better than, like, half the M. Night Shyamalan child actors in movies. And uh, one more thing I want to add that makes me appreciate this a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know this. This is adapted from a book. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. And uh, I could be wrong. Uh, but, like, from what I've heard, the movie deviates from the book because they were actually supposed to sacrifice the daughter correct in the book and honestly i think them choosing a father over the daughter is honestly one of the best choices that this movie can make i i like i don't know if it like translates well from the book or anything but i think it just helps me a little bit more mm-hmm. i guess it impacts me a lot more than I'll read the book eventually, but I I like this change. I think I like this movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a good change. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, so that's the quick synopsis review, I guess, on Cabin in the Woods. Um, I think I gave it a 5 out of 10 on Letterboxd. Um, I would definitely go check this out because it's, like, the only thing out in January right now that I would actually say is, like, half decent worth checking out. So, uh, good job, M. Night Shyamalan. You made an okay movie that, honestly, you know, it's better than what I expected. So I'm going to keep it at a 5 out of 10. Um, I'm still impressed with everything that I talked about earlier. I gave it an 8. I gave it an 8 out of 10. I don't know why, but... Uh, maybe I need to rewatch Extense. Maybe I need to see like Unbreakable and such. But like, mm-hmm. those are know, still the maybe gold three stand- Huh? Those are still the gold standards for me. I'd say because like maybe it's recency bias. Maybe it can like change. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I think this is probably my favorite one for now. I like yeah. maybe this opinion will change when I see Unbreakable. But yeah, like I I'd say yeah, definitely give it a shot. Uh, I like this movie, but I can understand why a lot of people don't. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> All right. And now to, uh, let's hey, for Brady. Whoa. Oh, so, um, if you're a football fan like me, you know who Tom Brady is. He's the greatest of all time in the football world. He's won seven Super Bowls. He's been to 10 of them. He has, I believe five MVPs. Uh, he has the all-time passing record, all-time touchdown record. He played for the Patriots for many years, played for the Buccaneers for one. Yes, it's Tom Brady. And obviously he went through that, you know, divorce that went viral and everything like that. But he is officially retired, I hope. 
I'm Wait, not really? saying that's gonna happen, but I hope that he's officially fucking retired after this. I mean, the ending of 80 for Brady says otherwise. I know, I know. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, this movie, the entire marketing and trailer for it was basically that it had four Golden Girls in it. Uh, Jane Fonda, Sally Field, Rita Moreno, Lily Tomlin, all Academy Award nominated. Obviously, all have been great throughout their filmography. Um, but the four of them were held hostage by Tom Brady and forced to make a movie that was basically stroking Brady's ego in 80 for Brady because this movie's plot is set around the infamous 28-3 collapse by the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl, in which Tom Brady went on to have the greatest game-winning drive in NFL history. Um, what more to say about this movie besides what the fuck? <laughs> um, because the premise of this is that J- Jane, or no, Lily Tomlin's character um, has cancer. And she grew up, or and she got through her chemotherapy basically by watching the Patriots and Tom Brady and all of her friends gathered around Tom Brady. They were like, wow, he's so cute. Look at the way he handles the ball. And over the course of the years, they watched Tom Brady become like the best quarterback ever, basically. And then as Tom Brady went on to win his, uh, or was going to the fifth Super Bowl, Lily Tomlin's like, well, I may not have much time left because I don't know the results of my cancer uh, diagnosis that I got back. So why don't we all just go to the Super Bowl in Houston and watch Tom Brady play the Atlanta? Falcons, and so I mean, the premise- to be fair, she doesn't say that explicitly. Yeah. Like the movie, the movie gaslights us in not a cool way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the movie is just kind of a road trip with these four old ladies as they go down to Houston for the Super Bowl, and they get in shenanigans, and that's kind of the movie. Um, so. I don't know. I don't know how to... What do I say? I guess if I had to give one positive, the the Golden Girls are great in this. They're all wonderful in this. Lily Tomlin's great. Rita Moreno's great. She's actually... Rita Moreno's really funny in this. I'll give her that. Um, Sally Field's good. She plays, like, the really wholesome character in this. And Jane Fonda, obviously. You know, it's Jane Fonda. Um, So, I guess that's my positive is all of them are having fun in this. But this movie feels like it was made for tv i don't know if you'll agree with me on this but it is the ugliest looking fucking movie i think i've seen so far this year like it's color correction the green screen the fucking uh this movie does not look good and it's basically one big nfl splurge the nfl is marketing the shit out of itself in this movie they go to the nfl experience um they play the nfl games they do all the nfl interactions and stuff they just name drop random players like crazy like this movie i'm sure the nfl got a huge ass paycheck out of it as well as tom brady but this movie just it looks like shit i'm sorry (laughs) you know what you you bring up a good point like imagine if like this like you know like how we got like super bowl ads yeah and such what if it was just what if it was just this movie like like it's just different increments of just like 80 from it's just a bunch of old people that that would be that would be a terrible idea like that that's basically what it is yeah right um for some reason this movie also has random fucking like setup in it so uh, there's a setup i think it's with is it with rita moreno or is it jane fonda no it's with rita moreno so um there's this old man named charlie that lives at the uh nursing home and he's basically like hitting on rita moreno and just dropping yeah 
like he finds her very attractive and everything like that and so they set up that they're gonna have like a relationship by the ending and basically they use him to break out rita moreno from the nursing home that she's living in because that's where her husband was before he passed away and then like he'll call and check in with rita moreno and at one point rita moreno is like i can't talk to you right now i'm at the super bowl and then they call again and they're all lovey-dovey and then she's like well you can come by any into my old house and then that's kind of the crux of the arc for that relationship they also set up sleeping pills with marina moreno that's like a one-time gag thing that doesn't go anywhere uh sally yeah. field and her husband have this weird back and forth where she's like you need to learn to make decisions for yourself and the husband's like okay i will and that's literally fucking it and then jane fonda like acts like she's in her early 20s and is like hitting on this you know retired nfl player and then she's like well i'm ghosting him oh i'm feeling like i got a vibe somewhere else i'm like no old person says this i'm sorry nobody does this shit but that's kind of like the crux of the arcs that give for all these characters in this movie besides lily tomlin who has like the easiest one to root for because she just wants to meet tom brady her hero that got her through her chemotherapy but like what what about the the gummies that they take and then oh, Rita Moreno the she she turns into Guy Fieri. <laughs> I I the C, the fucking CGI fit <laughs> on her. Oh my god! Now yeah, the the gummy scene I want to talk about. So it's funny when you see like old people in a movie get drunk or like if they get high for a sequence. But this movie drags out a sequence in which. They go to a big party and all of them accidentally take high dosage drugs and they start walking around and they just, you know, Sally Field like starts hitting on this younger guy basically, then Rita Moreno. She goes to this poker game where Marshawn Lynch, a former NFL player, is there. Um, Billy Porter's there. Uh, the guy that plays fucking Remy and Ratatouille, I forget his name, it escapes me at this moment. Um, but like, yeah. there's a bunch of people sitting around this table and she basically cleans them out in this game of craps and then it turns out that she can't take any of the money from it because it's a charity auction or it's a charity poker game and so she's like I'll just give it to Billy Porter's fucking charity and then Lily Tomlin's like walking around and she's looking for Guy Fieri because one of the plot points of this movie is Sally Field got herself into a hot wings contest and she beats all these other guys because she can't taste like the spiciness of the hot wings and she wins Guy Fieri's thing and then leaves the fanny pack that she calls a strap on on the fucking stage set and the tickets were in there and so they spend a good chunk of the time party looking around for Guy Fieri but it turns out he's never there and so it's just kind of like a big fucking waste of time um and it's just one of those sequences where I'm like why the fuck is this in the movie I mean yeah and also Rita Moreno she also uh makes a eyes wide shut reference yeah the eyes wide shut sex room yeah (laughs) oh my god um but i guess we should talk about do these old ladies go to the super bowl well no at first it turns out they don't because after they actually find guy fieri and get the tickets back it turns out that lily tomlin bought fake tickets she was scammed it didn't have the shiny thing on the back to indicate they were authentic tickets and so it turns out she reveals that she sold her car and she took out a fucking credit card loan and that's what she used to pay for the tickets so then fucking rena moreno just randomly comes across billy porter who's uh doing the dance choreography for lady gaga's halftime performance and so he tries to get them all in and they're like oh we're not gonna let these old ladies in. they clearly aren't part of your dance group but if they can show me they got moves i'll let them in and so there's this weird fucking dance sequence with billy porter and the old ladies where they're doing the shimmy the shake the twist and the security guard goes lady 
I know that none of y'all are part of his dance crew, but I'm gonna let you all in anyways, because that was fucking fantastic. And I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? And so they all get into the Super Bowl. And then there's a plot line with a security guard that's like, uh-uh, these old ladies aren't getting in on my watch. And he finds them and he goes to kick them out. And then the NFL player that's been flirting with Jane Fonda is like, no, they're with me. They're going up to the skybox. And then they go up to the skybox and they watch the game and they watch as Tom Brady fucking starts losing the Super Bowl and the Falcons get out to a 28-3 lead. And then Lily Tomlin gets pissed off and is like, we got to go do something about this. So somehow there's no security outside this place, but they break into the fucking coordinator's box. She takes a headset and then gives a motivational speech, which honestly was really wholesome, where she talks about how, like, watching Tom Brady got her, like, the motivation to continue fighting every day, how he was a six-round pick, pick 199, and about how the world yeah. was against him and everything. And so it, it's kind of a wholesome scene, but then it's followed up by Tom Brady going, let's fucking go. And apparently that's the motivation for Tom Brady to go win Super Bowl L.I. <laughs> I'm Wait, sorry. did that actually happen though? Like, no. not, maybe not the old woman part, but like, did they actually beat the Falcons? Oh yeah, they beat the Falcons. Way? The Falcons have one of the worst fucking collapses ever. They were up twenty-eight-three, should have easily won that Super Bowl, and they choked it away. Like, it it still confounds the NFL world to this day. That is, wow. Yeah, and the Falcons, I will just tell you this, have not done shit since that Super Bowl. <laughs> Also, we we forgot to uh, clarify why this was, like, fucking important as well. Like, how it was, like, able to build up. Because, like... What's her name? Like, the the main character. Uh, Lou. Or Lily Tomlin. Lou, yeah. Lily Tomlin's character. She's, like, having, like, multiple moments in the movie. Like, there's, like, Fight Club-esque scenes. Where, like, it's, like... I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Tom Brady, what do I do? And then <laughs> Tom Brady is just like acting like discount Ryan Reynolds. Like, you yeah. can do it. You can do it, Lou. You can, like, you can chuck that ball. <laughs> like, okay. Okay, it's, thank you, Tom Brady. Yeah, he like morphs out of a fucking bobblehead and then he like talks through a screen to her. It's weird. It's fucking weird. Um, oh, can I talk about the thing that fucking made me about Get Up and Leave? So Jane Fonda is the author of Rob Gronkowski Erotica in this movie. She sell, she oh, has yeah. a best-selling book that is just apparently a pornography she wrote about her and Rob Gronkowski. And there yeah. are actively people in this movie that come up and talk about this book and how it changed their life and their sex life and everything like that. It saved their marriage. Yeah, it saved their marriage. And then at the ending, you know, when they go into the fucking locker room with the Patriots after they win the Super Bowl to celebrate, she bumps into Gronk and she's like, oh my God, you're so big. And I can only assume canonically Gronk had sex with Jane Fonda. And I can't get that out of my fucking head now. No. I'm sorry. It's canon. No. I'm sorry. No. I think it's canon. I I don't even think about that. Well, it's I too think. late. This movie implied it. Um, but okay. yeah. So after the the Patriots come back and win the Super Bowl, uh, it turns out that Rita Moreno made a bet with one of the rich people in the skybox for all his money, basically. And she's going to use that money to reimburse Lily Tomlin for buying the tickets. Uh, but then the same security guard that was hunting them takes them down and they think they're all in trouble. And then they go into the Patriots locker room. And then we get the only other scene in this that I kind of liked where Lily Tomlin talks to Tom Brady in person. And Tom talks about like, your story really motivated me to keep fighting because where I came from is the sixth overall pick 
pick 199, you know, it motivated me to keep fighting every day. And I'm glad that I can be that quarterback that motivates you, blah, blah, blah. And then he offers to give Rena Moreno his fucking jersey and it's not there. And I was like, oh my God, was that like a an error? Like a fucking, was that a blooper that they meant to cut out? Like, was his jersey supposed to be behind him? Um, and then they cut away from that and they cut to 2020 when fucking Tom Brady is on the Buccaneers. And we think that Reed, or Lily Tomlin's dead because all the friends in there and they go on about like the great friend that brought us all together. And then it just turns out that Lily Tomlin's alive and it was a fucking fake out. So yeah, that happens. Um, and then that's the end of the movie. 80 right? for Brady. Wait, right? That's the end? Oh, wait. No, there's a post credit scene. Yeah. Um where all of the old ladies move down to Tampa Bay and Tom Brady is with them and they ask Tom when are you going to retire and he's like retirement you know I thought about it why retire when I'm still on the top of my game ironic because you fucking retired a week before <laughs> this movie came out you hack uh wait Hidden do you have the notes as far as like cause I remember you like uh you had like a fucking like pipeline it's like like Tom Brady played like shit this season he has oh. he, it's like one of the worst that you, do you have my, that my crazy conspiracy that I wrote on Letterboxd or the crazy conspiracy I have about how all his rings are fucking forfeit no how how this movie's gonna win like more billion bucks on the box office oh yeah confirmed. so here was my crazy conspiracy with this movie so Tom Brady retired not a week before but like three days before this movie came out so my idea was that the reason Tom Brady did this was because it would have a bunch of people that are Tom Brady stands then go to the theater that week that it came out and they would go see Tom 80 for Brady and then Tom Brady would announce that he's going to another team which would increase ticket sales for the following week and then Tom Brady would then talk about how you know he wants to make a movie about his Tampa Bay thing and how it's going to be tied to 80 for Brady and so basically my master plan here I guess Tom Brady's master plan in my mind was every week he would just hype up that he might be coming back or playing for another team that would increase the ticket sales throughout February to where 80 for Brady makes at least $800 million even and then the Academy is forced to nominate it because it was one of the popular movies that came out in 2023. Yeah. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible and I'm glad that this didn't make that kind of money but... Oh man. I mean it's going to be plaguing our theater for like a while now. Yep, you're going to get a lot of old people and I don't think you'll get a lot of football fans seeing it because that's the one thing I want to point out. It was all old people at my screening. Not one young person that watched football besides me was there, so I was like, "Oh my god, maybe he completely mismarketed this thing." I think because like I enjoy well, okay, like shameless. I know. I I don't think it's good, but I slightly enjoy it when I watch it in the theater because I just remember like somebody in like the front row thought it was like the funniest shit ever. Like I, I remember like it was just all four of those old ladies like watching Tom Brady for the first time and they're like, Oh, he's hot and it's like they're all horny for him. And yeah. then like that's the punchline or something and somebody just like cackled and i'm like you know what good for you if, if this is your demographic and it works fine yeah this it's not, is made it's not for me it is made for a very specific audience 
it's if you grew up with these golden girls and all their movies and stuff you probably will get a kick out of this because you're like oh i remember jane fonda oh i remember rita marino but i i don't fucking know like i i thought this would be just like maybe decent or maybe it would just be like a one out of ten but i gave it a two out of ten because again the golden girls are great in this it's just the rest of this movie is dog shit it doesn't look good the acting's 50 50 from everyone else they got some big name celebrities in this too to have quick cameos and like fucking oh it's frustrating you know if you want a better sports movie to go watch just fucking watch uncut gems what are you fucking doing or hustle or hustle hustle's very good too but oh my god both have adam sandler you know the least yeah. the guy the last guy people would expect but at least it doesn't imply that uh guy fieri has a strap on and that's not also, like a, not um, like a fanny pack yeah <laughs> i should also say that if you're expecting a lot of nfl cameos in this as somebody who watches football uh marshawn lynch is the only other one besides everybody that was on that patriots team like danny amendola's in this grob gronkowski's in this julian edelman's in this and tom brady's in this other than that there's not really a lot of football tie-ins in this i'm not gonna lie yeah i and also yeah this is coming from like a non-football fan but i can already understand that like a lot of other NFL fans don't like Tom Brady. Yeah, I'm one. So, I'm confident in giving this, like, I don't know, like, a 4. 4 out of 10. That's 4 to fair. a 5. Yeah, I, I gave it a 2, just because I don't need to be reminded of Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's, he's laughably bad in this movie. Yeah, his acting's acting fucking bad i was expecting him to be decent because he does all those tv promos but no his acting fucking sucks in this you can do it lou honestly i want i might just say this nicely Shaq might be a better actor like a better sports actor than most you know what that's awesome that's yeah that's awesome i mean nobody's gonna be dave batista where they basically 180 their career from wrestling to fucking actually being a good actor but it's rare because the rock what the fuck is the rock doing i mean what do you think about john cena no yeah and john cena is another example he came from wrestling background where it was like the corniest vince mcmahon fucking wrestling tips and acting and completely 180 into a good actor yeah also uh which one like what how, how can we forget how can we forget that LeBron James from Space Jam? <laughs> Space oh, Jam. Oh look fuck! Oh god! Yeah, talk about it. The two greatest of all time at their position are shit actors. Who would have fucking guessed? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see House Party that had LeBron James in it. I did not see that movie. <laughs> uh, it didn't. We have a poster for it at our theater. We. I th- I think it bombs spectacularly. It hasn't released at our place yet. Uh, I know that we're going to be showing Magic Mike at our theater. Oh, yeah. Uh, Valentine's going to be really dangerous. Uh, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) God. Um, The things that happen at our theaters is like fucking. It's it's so weird. (laughs) It's so weird working at the theater, but it pays well. So that's true. Um, so yeah that'll do it for this quick edition of Hayden's Entertainment Hour um, Ant-Man's coming out in a week I believe so anybody like to talk about Ant-Man you're welcome to come on and talk about it because I mean fuck it yes it's a Marvel movie but it's something to talk about um, Cocaine it's gonna be Bears shot by Bill Pope what's that I, I, it's gonna be shot by Bill Pope apparently 
that's interesting. Uh, you know who he is, right? He's yeah, cinematographer. Yeah, that's, and that's that, that's the only excitement I have for that movie. I know that. Yeah. Uh, um, Cocaine Bears coming out. I don't give a fuck if someone wants to talk about that. Sure. Um, I will. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's uh, Creed three, uh, John Wick four will be coming out soon. A couple other movies in March. Um, Ari Aster's new film, uh, View is Afraid, is coming out in April. I'm looking forward to talking about that. There's a Mario movie. Um, me and Danny will be talking about Scream six, I assume, because we talked about Scream five. Um, but other than that, yeah, just look forward to what's down the pipeline. Remember, we only got a few months left of this. So Evil Dead Rise as well. Oh yeah, that that does actually look pretty fucking good. Oh man. So maybe Damn, we're gonna this get better. Gonna be stacked. April's gonna be really stacked. It's gonna be a powerful month for movies. Uh, maybe I'll be able to pay back those uh, those shares. Yeah. After after April. Well. Because, yeah, January and February are looking pretty rough. I'm sorry to and, tell you this, Fahrenheit, but even if you were to sell those shares, the amount of money you get back is 0.000000000000001%. Uh, is that like less than a penny? Or that is that is whatever was the value of money before the penny came along. Wait, so like. Damn. Can I bring back that Saul Goodman uh, cardboard cutout? Or I mean, I guess if you want it, but it's signed by Bob Odenkirk himself, and he donated it to me. Wait, Fahrenheit, why are you taking the cutout? I didn't say yes. Well, um... Hey, it was really nice recording with you. Wait, wait, that's my cardboard cutout! Don't so, leave with um, that! Uh, I mean, hey, if anything, I'm probably gonna throw this in the garbage can like in Better Call Saul, obviously. So, uh... The yeah, garbage comes in an hour. Don't do that. Fahrenheit, no! <laughs> <laughs>